BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hello, everybody, and welcome to The Great America Show. I'm Lou Dobbs and thrilled to have you with us here today. We'll be talking about realities that many, if not most Americans, seem to want to deny or to avoid or escape or, or ignore altogether. Some of us are still walking around muttering to ourselves in private moments about those midterm elections that once again prove Republican leaders and strategists and campaign gurus, or at least most of them, are mostly inept and somewhat complete frauds. How else do we get from a forecast of a giant Republican tsunami to maybe a red wave, to what turns out to be a resigned goodbye wave to the Senate? But hey, that's over now. Now we get to listen to House Republicans who were elected to represent the voters decide which liberal rhino they want to lead them, to be buddy-buddy with Chuck Schumer and pal around with Joe Biden, get to know the new Marxist dim House Minority Leader, Hakeem Jeffries. People wonder why nothing changes in the swamp. Well, there's a simple answer. Because Republicans keep turning to rhinos. They keep turning over their majority conferences to the most liberal Republicans. It's that simple. And oh yes, they keep listening to the sometimes articulate, always certain, and seldom right Karl Rove who's peddled the same nonsensical ideas for two decades and reports to the same oligarchs that he always has. And now most of the fire-breathing, tough-guy Republicans who did manage a slim House majority want to turn it all over to another talentless, obsequious rhino, Kevin McCarthy, comfortable in the halls of power because he's hand-picked and meticulously groomed in his cloying manner by none other than the cloying, ultimate rhino loser, Paul Ryan. McCarthy will do exactly what he's told to do. And how? By the Chamber of Commerce, the Business Roundtable, Big Tech, Wall Street, and the oligarchs. Congressman Andy Biggs, the co-founder of the Freedom Caucus, is running against Kevin McCarthy for the speakership. So there's some hope that Republicans will stiffen their spines and stand up for their constituents and the country. It is time to fight for this republic against these Marxist Dems who mean to deliver on Obama's promise to fundamentally transform America. One of those in Washington who's a vigorous opponent to those Marxist Dems is Congressman Scott Perry. Congressman Perry sits on two of the most powerful committees in Congress, the Appropriations Committee and the Rules Committee. He's also the chairman of the Freedom Caucus, and it's great to have you back with us here on The Great America Show. So, Congressman Perry, here we go. Andy Biggs fighting Kevin McCarthy for the speakership. There's a fight for the heart and soul of the GOP as well. RNC chair Ronna McDaniel is in a fight to keep her job, a job she thinks she deserves, apparently, despite all of her failures. The states of Texas and Arizona want her out, among others. How goes the fight? all of those fights from your point, Congressman. 
Well, let me characterize it for you, Lou. Um, you know, I'm not Einstein, but Einstein said doing the same thing over and over again and expecting a different outcome is the definition of insanity. So what we're poised to do right here in Congress is, of course, keep the same leadership team under the same conditions with the same circumstances in the country, yet we're all expecting a different outcome. And while uh, that's nice to hope for something to change, I think you got to do more than hope. I, my, my constituents, my bosses sent me here uh, because they don't like the way things are going and they want a voice in that. And more importantly, they want something to change. And so we're having conversations uh, along with that. And of course, unfortunately, there are many here, you know, look, this is Washington, D.C. There's a lot invested in keeping things just the way they are, because let's face it, everything around this town works great for the town. But you go 50 miles away from this town, any direction in the country, and you see people that are struggling to get by. You see their freedoms being taken away every day, whether it's a school board meeting, whether it's something they want to say in the public space online or whether it's at the gas station or the grocery store where they're, they have an inability to afford the basic necessities that a free country should, uh, you know, should offer them the opportunity to access. And so we're trying to have this conversation and say, look, we, we've got to see, do some things differently here if we expect a different outcome. Every single person, Lou, that ran for Congress didn't run and said to their, their voters, hey, elect me. I think everything's just fine. I don't want to go down there or up there to Washington, D.C. and just kind of fall right in line with what's happening because we both agree that everything is good. No one says that, Lou, because they know it's not true. Yet vast majority of people that come here with the best of intentions fall right in line. And uh, and we're saying, hey, wake up. Things are not perfect. Things are not well. And we're, you know, we got to do things. We got to consider doing things a little differently. And quite honestly, unfortunately, we've met a lot of resistance in just even offering some different ideas. And we're, we're, we're saying, look, we thought about these things for a year, a year and a half in the, you know, the wilderness of the minority out here under Nancy Pelosi. But we have time to think about these. If you don't like this idea, what's your idea? Do you, you know, and, and of course, all they want to do is criticize what you bring to the table. No one wants to offer what they want to do. And particularly, I find this kind of somewhat stunning, Lou. When I run for office, whether it's, uh, whether it's for something at the township level or whether it's something at the political level or for Congress, I go to my, the people that I'm, I'm hoping to seek their support, to earn their vote, and I say, look, I'm going to offer myself, if you see fit to consider voting for me, this is what I would do if I was elected. And I lay it out for them. Some here, how in Washington, D.C., what you're supposed to do is get here and just vote for the next person that's on the schedule. Well, I, I'm sorry, you know, asking for someone to give you their vision and, and, and lay out what things they're willing to do and then comparing that to a track record is somehow an anathema around this town. But I don't think it should be, um, I, you know, so. So, look, we have the best of intentions. We want to change the way things are done here in a way that reflects the American people. So, for instance, Lou, we haven't had an amendment on the floor of the House of Representatives for six years. So I'm not on the Energy and Commerce Committee, but I'm from Pennsylvania. There's a lot of energy that's created in Pennsylvania. And so when a bill comes out of Energy and Commerce that affects the citizens that I represent or the state that I am, am proud to represent, if I want to offer an amendment, I have no choice. There's no amendment allowed. There's no process for an amendment to be heard. So all I get to do is vote yes 
or vote no. And oftentimes, as you know, Lou, bills are imperfect. We know that there's 435 of us here, so it's hard to get it exactly perfect for every person. We get that. And I tell I tell my colleagues, look, I don't always have to have my way, but I have to have a say. And so we're offering things that change that. um, And uh, and we're meeting some headwinds. We have determined that whoever is going to lead us needs to needs to do certain things, need to be open to certain things. So you just, you just said that you haven't had an amendment in the House of Representatives in six years. Right. That means that under John Boehner, yes, right, yes. John Boehner took away amendments, took away regular order. Well, uh, it's actually Paul Ryan that did did it, but John Boehner was pretty heavy-handed too, which is why exactly. you know he he found the exit door. But look, we're trying to move in the right direction. That's the wrong direction, right? We want le- we want members well, to have. Well, Congressman, if I may, if I may, we know one thing. You can't do amendments. You're not going to have hearings. You're not going. You guys have have, some hearings, but they're not going to amount to much. There's no going to accountability is when you come from the hearing. Right. Well, the fact of the matter is you haven't had hearings uh, that amount to anything. Right. They're, they, these are phony hearings. And so when yes. I hear James Comer and I hear Jim Jordan say from judiciary and from oversight, they're going to investigate. You know what I think of? I think, well, how's that going to happen under Kevin McCarthy, who is uh, the the hand me down from Paul Ryan, who is the hand me down from John Boehner? McCarthy yes. is groomed and endorsed by Paul Ryan, who is the plaything of the establishment. You and I know it. Uh, the country knows it. No, but you guys, you got to name names. You got to be uh, straight up with the American people right now. Because I tell you, the Marxist Dems, yeah, those are not your friends. No, they're not your, not. And, and they're not, they're not just your opposition party. They mean to destroy yes. this mega movement, destroy this president. And what this is all about is killing MAGA, killing America first and killing you. Yeah, well, you're absolutely right. So let's let's put some uh, meat on the bones here, Lou. For instance, anybody that wants to be Speaker of the House needs to be accountable. Thomas Jefferson wrote in the rules a couple hundred years ago a thing called the motion to vacate the chair. And that was right. used successfully to remove John Boehner and force his resignation because he did not have the support of the Republican conference. And, and nor should he have at that point. He had lost it. So what happened under Speaker Pelosi, fearing the same thing, she got rid of it. And now under the current set of rules, it is it is impossible to, to affect it. It's impossible to use. So we have no accountability. That has to be brought back, Lou. We have to have accountability. And with all due respect to people that say, well, you have two years. If you don't like the speaking and vote them out after two years. Lou, our country doesn't have two years to wait to see if this person that wants to be speaker and that person wants to be speaker is up to the task. We need to know before that, and there needs to be accountability. So number one, the motion to vacate the chair that Thomas Jefferson offered, offered it lasted for 220 some years through civil war, world war, pandemic, you name it, close majorities, big majorities, gotta have it. So that's number one. Can I just interject at this point? Yeah, sure. Paul, Paul Ryan made it a an absolute condition precedent of his taking the speakership, as I understand it, uh, when he said you will eliminate the motion to vacate because he had just watched Boehner right. vacated. He didn't want it to happen to him. So yeah. that 
Yeah, he, he, he didn't want it to happen to him. It was a, a stringent negotiation. We prevailed and we maintained it even under Paul Ryan. Uh, look, it's, it's kind of a last resort, right? You don't want to right. use it, but you have to have it. It was actually Speaker Pelosi that changed it dramatically and made it almost unusable. And now under actually under Republican leadership here, we, we just recently voted uh, in the rules package in our conference and we actually made it even more difficult than it was before. It is unacceptable. So that has to change. That's number one. But how right. about this? How about this, Lou Dobbs? Um, uh, under Speaker Pelosi, of course, they brought back all these earmarks. And so we had a motion in our conference rules just last week to end the earmarks. Three quarters of our conference got up and spoke on behalf of earmarks and, and unbridled. Why they say, well, there are guardrails on them, they're controlled. And I would just encourage you to take a look at some of the things on both sides of the aisle that have been uh, that have gotten earmarks in the last couple of years. Look, the last thing we want to do with a new Republican majority is tell the American people, look, elect us, support us, be for us. And here's how we're going to squander all your money and just say it's less than one percent of the total budget. Americans understand the influence of earmarks, how they're used to get people to vote for things. You know, you, you want something in your community and we use that against you if you don't vote for this and you can't have it. Those kind of, we, they, American people understand that it's a really bad look. There's got to be some reason if we're going to have earmarks. Look, the, the, I, I get the argument that the Congress does not want to just send all the money to the Biden administration and have them decide, have Pete Buttigieg, for example, ex decide where the money's spent, because we know that how that's going to go. That's a legitimate argument. But the argument that just opens it wide up to anything is ludicrous and is unacceptable. So there has to be something different there. But how about this, Lou Dobbs? How about this novel concept? Hasn't happened, certainly in my time in Congress, maybe never happened in my lifetime, is a House rule that says that bills must be single subject. So right now, as the example, we have the National Defense Authorization Act coming through Congress, right? The Senate is going to load it up because it's a must-pass bill. We got to defend, we got to pay the troops and defend our country. The Senate's going to load it up with things, including things that, um, that help newspaper companies fight off big tech. Look, that might be an issue that we should be involved in. I'm not even sure we should, but that might be an issue that we should discuss. But it has nothing to do with the National Defense Authorization, and it shouldn't be in there. Members of Congress should vote on single subject bills so that they're so that the, the people that elect them can see where they stand on these issues and not have to hide. Have members hiding? Well, I voted no because this was in it. I voted yes because that was in it or wasn't in it. People are tired of that game. Single subject bills. That, that focus on what we're working on and let's take them one thing at a time and let's put the votes up. How about, how about that transformational change? I love it. I love it. I've just got one problem. Sure. The NDAA has been a Christmas tree yes. that both parties hang everything they can think of on because it has, as you said, has to be, a, it's a must pass piece of legislation. Right. You and I both know that Kevin McCarthy would puke himself if he had to give up on earmarks, if he had to give up on uh, single subject uh, bills, had to actually hold hearings, had to actually give subpoenas and meaningful support to the judiciary, the oversight committees, all of the oversight committees. Well, look, um, we don't know yet what we were trying to keep the personalities out of this loop. We're saying that anybody that wants to be speaker to get our votes has to abide by these things. So the motion to vacate, dealing with earmarks. But I, you bring up a good point. 
These subpoenas. Now, I served under John Boehner. I served under Paul Ryan, Nancy Pelosi, and whoever's next. But I will tell you this. For whatever time I've been here in Congress under Republican leadership, there hasn't been one subpoena that's been sent from these committees. I remember under Paul Ryan, you remember the whole Trump-Russia collusion thing. I went to the speaker and I said, Mr. Speaker, we've got to, we've got to get the, these people in here. We've got to put them under oath and we've got to have them uh, you know, spill the beans. We need to know where the, what malfeasance has gone on here. And the only way to compel it is through subpoena. And he would say to me, Scott, if we issue them subpoenas, all they're going to do is clam up. And I said, Mr. Speaker, all they're going to do now is play you for time, wait out the time, and never show up. We have to do it. And so anybody that's going to be Speaker of this House under Republicans has to allow Jim Jordan, Jamie Comer, and quite honestly, Lou, every single committee should be able to subpoena people to have them brought in here, certainly under a Biden administration who is fleecing America and destroying the republic. So let me ask you this question, because yes. I think it is this it is the issue, the central issue of the Republican Party for the past 30 years. How in the world are you all all of you conservatives, all of yep. your uh, moderate Republicans, uh, all the way to up to Rhino, which are really Dems? Uh, how in the world is it that you need to get permission? How did you just the mindset? I don't understand. You suddenly look for a leader who is the most like a Democrat you can find instead of with the same DNA that all of you have and which your constituents have. I mean, the Republicans won the popular vote in the midterms. Unfortunately, that means nothing, except it's an interesting point to know that you guys are there because of the broadest expression of the American people. How do you look at your how do you look at your constituents and, and the rest of the American people and say, we're going to put Kevin McCarthy, the flashiest rhino we know, in charge of maybe giving us, if, if we ask really nice, a subpoena to save the republic? Lou, you're absolutely right. As And I'll remind you, you already know this. I'm chairman of the House Freedom Caucus. And, and the House Freedom Caucus, in large part, not exclusively because there are some other members, but have brought this discussion, this fight, if you will, to the fore, the, you know. Uh, you, you can read the news clips. Of course, they're being derided summarily by what used to be considered conservative media out there saying, oh, you're going to blow the whole thing up and you're going to hand the Democrats the majority. Never going to happen, Lou. The only way it happens is if Republicans vote for a Democrat. That's, so that's, that, that's, a red, that's a red herring. But in a meeting recently with all of leadership and some of my colleagues, I was told something similar. Well, if, you, you know, if we request from leadership and I lean forward and I said, hold on a second. I've got the same election certificate as every single one of you around the table and everybody in Congress. We've got the same three quarters of a million people. I'm not asking you for anything. I represent those folks and, it, and I'm going to do my job here. And my vote is my vote. It's not your vote. I'm not giving it away. I'm not selling it. I'm here to do my job and I'm not going to go like Oliver Twist begging for more gruel. I've already have, I already get the, all these, these privileges that come with being a member and representing the people of my district. We no longer want the illusion of representative government. And, and if that's how this leadership team's gonna act, then there's gonna be trouble and you might not be in the leadership team. That's what that's what the fight is generally about. Well, and uh, I, I have not forgotten that you chair the Freedom Caucus at <laughs> all. Uh, and I am not at all uh, <laughs> uh, indifferent to the fact of, uh, that you're a patriot you're one of the most important, in my judgment, one of the most important voices in Congress for the American people, not just your district. 
you are truly representing the nation right now. And to to see five members of the uh, of the Freedom Caucus who have been at the point of the spear, if you will, uh, be derided, insulted, attacked. Uh, and I think it's instructive to everyone that uh, the establishment came up with a substitute for McCarthy, and they chose a man who is uh, a, has been a Democrat for the last 30 years, but he goes by Republican. And that's Fred Upton of Michigan. Yeah, yeah, that yeah. man hasn't understood an issue in, in three decades. And the, the, ver- the insult that these, <laughs> I mean, he's even worse than McCarthy, if you could imagine. He's just not, because McCarthy at least is, is functioning. Well, look, I mean, it's, this it's, is crazy it's all, stuff. It's all fear mongering, Lou. It's all being done to put the fear of the Lord in people that uh, something bad's going to happen on January 3rd uh, if we don't pick, you know, one person over another. So they come up with these scenarios that somehow a Democrat or this leftist Republican is going to win. I remind everybody, there's no way a Democrat can win. It's, it's math. It's arithmetic, right? It's not calculus. There's no way a Democrat can win unless... Republicans are going to vote for a Democrat. Now, there have been some names floated out there, and I've gone to those Republicans and said, I see your names in the paper here. Are you going to vote for a Democrat? They have told me, look, we don't like what you're doing, but we're never going to vote for a Democrat. What they're trying to do is to scare and to put the fear of people and put pressure on people to just go along with the way it's always been done. And we're just not going to fall for that, Lou. We're just not going to we're just not going to agree with that. So Look, these are plants by the people in Washington, D.C. They're plants to reporters and stories and even some of our friends to try and take us off our course. We can't well, we, we cannot diverge from our course. The only way to save the republic is to save the republic. And you can't keep doing the same thing. Most importantly, you can't keep agreeing with Democrats for the sake of bipartisanship just to move the ball forward. We're actually moving it back and we can no longer agree to that, which is why we're why we're in this struggle right now. And so um, you're absolutely right that these things are going on. But I will just tell you, Lou, that on January 3rd, when the speaker vote's supposed to happen, if we don't end up with a speaker on the first vote or the second vote or by the next morning, you know what's going to happen, Lou? The sun's going to come up out of the, you know, the sun's going to come up in the sky. Babies are going to be born. People are going to go to work. They're not going to say, oh, well, I can't go to work today. I don't know who the speaker is. Most people have no clue who that person is or what they do anyhow. It's more important to get it right, which is why we're taking the opportunity now to, to work out these details. And look, like I said, anybody, I think, in, in the 222 Republican members of the House can be speaker if they agree to do certain things. And if they're not willing to counsel and countenance those things, then they don't have our votes. That's just where we are. And it starts with accountability with that uh with uh you know that motion to vacate but it goes much further into a whole lot of things like single subject we have to know where we're at on the budget right we can't keep on letting mitch mcconnell and the democrats roll us yet we hear every time these speeches we're not going to let that happen yet every single time it happens sometimes literally by the people that seek to lead us well we're calling them to the table on those things and say well this is what happened in the past why should we think anything's going to happen different in the future tell us how that's going to work and we're and we're sitting there. We're waiting to receive information. And their answer is, is, well, you're just not on the team. I'm sorry. That's not going to work. That's not going to be good enough. Forcing well, people to be unified is not unifying. Well, I'm I, I consider myself a, a 
conservative in good standing. I'll put it that way. Uh, and I'm a patriot. I'm all for America. As a matter of fact, I put it first. Uh, and I love Donald Trump. So I've got I've got some credentials. But sure. then I, I want everybody to know that when we talk about rhinos, they don't just come in uh, elected officials. We right. got a we got a national media, and some of them are pretending to be conservatives. And I've just got to ask you this: Have you picked up the phone to call Mark Levin and say who the hell do you think you are? Uh, <laughs> because he can't do basic math. Uh, he is a guy who has completely missed the point. And he is, uh, I, I mean, I, I don't even know what to say to you about the number of people in quote-unquote conservative media who've lost their minds and want to see a replay of 2016, 2018, 2020. The movie stops here, and the really big production has to begin here. If we're going to you're exactly right. And look, Mark Levin is a good friend. Uh, you know, I'm a listener. I'm a fan. But I just happen to think he's incorrect on this occasion. And look, it's not Democrats who are coming out against us and and uh, and deriding us for for uh, for our actions, saying that, you know, we we need a change in how things are done here. It's our friends in conservative media. It's our friends in the in the body itself. And so you're, you're right. We wonder you know, you're out there fighting for conservative principles all the time. And now when we have a change, when we have an opportunity to actually make a huge change in how things are done. Now you abandon us. It certainly doesn't seem uh, it doesn't seem right. But look, we we're here. We respect everybody, but we are focused on our mission, which is to save the republic. And we're and we're remembering things like when President Trump was elected. A lot of people in our party refused to work with him. We didn't get the wall built because our speaker at the time just kept telling him, "We'll get it the next time. We'll get it the next time." And, and many of us were going to the president and saying, there isn't going to be a next time. You have to do it every time. You have to do it now. Every opportunity. That's how this town works. But and, and so we know that, Lou. We know these things, which is why we're pushing now, because if we don't get it right now, once this whole session starts, everything becomes on autopilot. Once you give them their votes, Lou, then they don't care about you anymore until the next time they need a vote out of you. And then they come looking around. What can I do for you? Whatever. We know that how that this is how this town operates right now. They need votes for speaker. If they need votes for speaker, well, let's talk. Let's see what we can do to change this town. If you want to make things different and work for the American people, as opposed to the folks that work in this town, then we can have a conversation. But if you're for status quo, if you're for keeping on doing the same thing that it had us fail, let's think about it, Lou. What have we succeeded in with Republican majorities? Well, we got some tax reform done. It wasn't like what I would do, but it was pretty good, but it wasn't great. But we got that right. done. I um, agree. We, uh, we, we pointed out, we pointed out this whole Trump-Russia collusion farce and, and how that was a lie from the start. And now I'm starting to run out of things we've actually accomplished, right? I don't know whatever, what else you think we've accomplished. It's not like we stopped spending, right? We're 30-some trillion dollars in debt now. The Biden agenda, the Obama agenda, the leftist agenda considers uh, uh, just continues almost unbridled. So it's not like we've really stopped that. We might have slowed it down for five minutes here or there, but it just keeps going. What we're doing is not working. So we need to change things. That's our message to everybody. And if we can't change things, then maybe we have to change people. But we got to change something. We can't keep doing the same things thinking something is going to be different because it's not. And to that point, I, I look at it more in, in terms of president setting agendas. No president in modern American history has set a better 
clear, more important agenda than Donald J. Trump, period. America first, MAGA, tax cuts, uh, tariffs in search of balanced international trade and removal of the the punishing deficits this country has gone through. Uh, all that he did in the Middle East, the fact that he insisted that we bring home our troops from afar that have been engaged in nothing but police actions and managing to turn them into wars and lose them uh, for the past 30 years. Right. Uh, it, it, that's brilliant, brilliant uh, uh, leadership from the Pentagon so over that period of time. Uh, he is also the guy who wants that wall up. And yeah. without that wall, we've got over 6 million illegal immigrants who have entered this country and the and the president of the United States saying just today that he doesn't want to go to the border while he's in Arizona because he's got more important things to do, which means he'll be on Air Force One on his way to a, one of his vacation compounds in Delaware. This is a country facing two agendas. And we know what Donald Trump did, America first, make America great again. And we've got a Republican Party who wants to bring back Ronna McDaniel. I mean, that's how big a bunch of idiots are in the RNC. And I'm talking about local, state, and federal, national. How in the world could they even think about it? This woman has presided over three disasters. And it is, and then wants to come back and look into a camera. Uh, Harmeet Dillon, who is a California National Committee woman uh, for the RNC, at least will challenge her. There should be a half dozen people challenging with ideas and make it a race and make it merit-based merit instead of, uh, you know, who has the longer record raising money. That money didn't work out too damn well in this uh, midterm election, did it? Well, I will tell you this, Lou. I think I'm just like you. I used to, used to run a business. We try not to make it personal, right? There are all kinds of people, Republicans, Democrats, independents, your neighbors, people you know, just because you like them personally doesn't mean that you want them in charge of your household or your business. So you can't make it personal, but here's what we know. There has to be, there have to be accolades for success, but there also has to be accountability for failure. And look, let's face it, we just didn't do that well. We're, we, we, we don't have the Senate and we have a very thin majority in the House of Representatives, you have to, there has to be an acknowledgement of the fact that whatever we did, it didn't work out well. And I don't know if it's this person or that, that decision or what have you, but keeping the same people and the same policies is not going to be the answer if you want a different outcome. So again, you can't make it personal, it's professional. See here, I like you, however, this didn't work out the way we thought it should, so uh, we're, we're going we're gonna to need to make a change. And if you're not willing to change how you did things, then we have to look at changing who's doing the things. And, and that's where we are across the board. I think the Republican Party, the conservative movement, has to be circumspect, circumspect, look at itself and say, how did we do? Well, I don't think we did so well. And if that's the case, then why is that? And, and you just have to be willing to do that. I didn't say it was comfortable. I didn't think it was pleasant. I didn't say it was pleasant, but you ha anybody has to do that if they're going to be successful. And right now, let's face it, we're not being successful. And, and I have to say too, uh, along with you, uh, you know, I don't like a lot of people uh, and it, it's just an accident, but they all turn out to be Marxist Dems. Uh, I, I haven't run into a conservative I don't like. I haven't run into a Republican, a patriot, a veteran I don't like. 
I, it's funny uh, like how that goes. So I, I want you to assure you, it's not my lack of respect. It's just the way the cards fall for me. Sure. And, and the other part of it is I, I, I detest the Marxist Dems who have taken this country to this point, mutilating our children, uh, trying to uh, groom them in our uh, public schools. Uh, I, I, I detest them because they're using the word bipartisanship. And when I hear a Republican do it, I think there's a rhino. You know why I think it's a rhino? And they, we've had the, the usage evolve of words. And bipartisanship really means collaboration and with the enemy and no doubt about this i swear to you i congressman right now bipartisanship is collaboration and any rhino who thinks that they can be bipartisan in this moment will just be playing a part in destroying uh, this great country it's that straightforward uh when you hear uh McConnell say he wants a, he wants an omnibus bill. He's gonna he's gonna get through. And Kevin McCarthy won't answer the question about omnibus versus a continuing resolution. It is unacceptable. It's unacceptable. heinous, and there shouldn't be a single person in the Republican conference who thinks for a moment that Kevin McCarthy deserves to be speaker because of that answer, just that one answer. Think about the rest. So that's... Well, there's a track record there, and 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 members are are uh, they be they be well informed to take a look at that track record before they make their decision. And again, you can't make it personal. But I would say this too, Lou: bipartisanship. First of all, when are Democrats ever requested to be bipartisan? Never. It's only Republicans that have that request. Democrats and leftists never have that put on them by the press, their constituents, their bosses, anybody. And we need to be we need to be aware of that. There's no reason that we shouldn't play under the same set of rules, number one. Number two, Democrats of you know the 1950s or 60s, one thing you could count on, Lou, I think, is that they loved their country. They, they knew that America was the greatest place in the world, and they loved the people in the country and what it stood for. But thinking that that exists today with folks like uh, you know, some of the members on, on the other side of the aisle, Ilhan Omar, Ayanna Presley, AOC, et cetera, that literally work every single day to tear down the Constitution, the foundation of our country. These are different folks with a different viewpoint that don't love the country as founded. And it's important to put it that way. They want to change the whole makeup, the whole culture, everything that we believe in, all of our traditions. I find little place where I can work with someone that, that thinks that way. I'm not saying that there's not an opportunity, but they are few and far between. And you have to look hard for them. You're, you should be your default position should be with somebody that's a Marxist that believes in Marxist theory and wants to impose that on America, that you're against them. If you can find something that you agree on, that the sun is coming out today or that, uh, you know, you all want to breathe clean air. God bless you. But my default position is, is I'm suspect if they're Marxist and there's probably not a lot we're going to work on. That's how I proceed. And, uh, and, and and unfortunately, they can't be trusted at their word because they've shown themselves to be duplicitous on too many occasions. So it's pretty easy for me. Look, we want to work in a bipartisan fashion, but I'm not here to help destroy the country with the Marxists that want to do that. And I refuse to do that. Well, that is that is music to to my ears and I'm sure the ears of everyone here, because I mean, straightforwardly, bipartisanship in this era is collaboration with the enemy. I said there are two two agendas at work here. They're both presidential. President Trump, America first, make America great again. And the agenda of Barack Obama 
And you only need to remember two words when you think about the Obama agenda because he's, his agenda is winning right now. The fundamental transformation yes. of America. Yep. And the hell with his agenda. And we better fight like hell to make sure it doesn't happen. Our practice here is always to give our guests the last word, the, your concluding thoughts. And for as long as you wish, the time is yours. I appreciate you being with us so much, Congressman Perry, and all that you're doing for this great country. Well, thank you, Lou. Of course, I'm a big fan. I always have been. You hear the bells ringing behind me. I've got to go vote. But I, but I, but I think it's important to, to kind of leave on this note. Look. The Republic's not going to save itself. Uh, our founders placed these, uh, the, the, the Republic, this government, this country in our care, but they knew that, that liberty required eternal vigilance, and they knew it wasn't going to be easy. And so it takes effort. It's going to make some people uncomfortable on occasion. We've been comfortable too long giving in to the other side, giving in to this Marxist agenda that really is. Uh, that's exactly what it is. We have to recognize it for what it is, acknowledge it for what it is, and we have to be willing to be in the fight, to stand up, to be counted, and to take the slings and arrows that come with with those things. And so, uh, Lou, I, I'm very honored to be uh, on your on your show as a guest, um, um, and 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 I just encourage you to keep going with your message. There are people that are relying on you. You know, there are critics out there, but they're not in the arena. You are. So just keep going. Understand that we are with you and we count on you to, to bring that information to people and the feedback that comes to us. We count on that. We're, you know, if you can't take a little criticism, you're in the wrong job. If you don't have any courage and you can't take some confrontation, you know, go work as a clerk, stock and shelves and, 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 and have a happy life. But this job requires us to, to fight for our country, for this republic. And it's going to mean it's going to be confrontational at times. That's OK. That's what it takes. God bless you. Thanks for the opportunity. Thanks to great American Congressman Scott Perry, also retired U.S. Army National Guard Brigadier General Combat Veteran. Always in the fights that count. Tomorrow, our guest is Cash Patel, Trump advisor, author, former top Pentagon, National Security Council, and Justice Department official, and senior advisor to the House Intel Committee under Chairman Devin Nunes. We'll be talking about whether the Republican Party, as well-intentioned as they are, can actually bring anyone in the corrupt federal government to justice. Please join us here tomorrow for all of that and more. Till then, thank you for being with us. God bless you, and may God bless America.